Well, hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Role Playing as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, joining me, I got Finder here. Hey, Finder. Yo. Uh, for you on the audience, I know it's been a while. Uh, for Finder and me, it's also been a while. It's been a busy summer for both of us. Indeed. Uh, yeah, but we haven't forgotten about you. Trust us, it's just, uh, you know, it's the summertime. Everyone's doing stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Had to go through therapy since Scott left us. Oh, yeah, I know. What was it? I had to go. It was like a rough breakup. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mutually. I, I miss him so much. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, on tonight's episode, we're actually going to talk a little bit about uh, cooperative world building but also about Forged in the Dark, since now Finder has read a Forged in the Dark book. I own Blades in the Dark, and I'm very curious about what you think of that system, since uh, I know you're a pretty diehard uh, suede guy, and so it's kind of, it'll be interesting to get your take on it. Uh, okay, so you want to do that now or later? Yeah, let's let's do let's do that now because I'm, okay. I'm 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 super curious of what you actually think of the system after reading the book for our game of uh, God, what's the name of it again? Wicked I ones. Should... Wicked ones. There we go with that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I have Blades in the Dark. I haven't read Blades in the Dark, so I don't know the full differences between Wicked Ones and Blades. So yeah. that that would be my. I preface there. So all of my Forge in the Dark experience is based purely off of um, Wicked Ones. Mm -hmm. And the struggle that I have, so the system itself seems pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. There are things that I think will take some getting used to. Uh, I have, so I've played Powered by the Apocalypse, so I understand the concept of fail forward. I understand the concept of... Um, a failure with, or a success with consequences and, and all that sort of stuff. But getting that into play, I think, uh, is going to be interesting. I'm not, we've not really done a full session of this yet where we bring all the mechanics in. So the struggle that I have with Wicked Ones, and yeah. I learned this later on, is that the authors are actually textbooks writers, and the book is written like a textbook, which has made it a little bit more uh, difficult for me to get through. Um, there is a lot of explanation. There's a lot of... I, I, th I think it's good that there are examples. The yep. struggle that I have with the examples that they give, though, is sometimes I don't feel like they mesh well with the rules that have just been stated. Uh, so, for example, they may say, well, how do I put this? There's no set spell list, yeah. okay? So your spells are based on the impact that they will have on the story, which to me is kind of weird because a fireball in one scene may be a tier one spell because it's not going to have much of an impact at all, whereas in another scene, it could be a tier three spell yeah. because it's going to have a huge impact, right? So that to me is kind of weird that, that you judge a spell based on the in-game moment um and so it could be harder to cast than in another scene itself so that's weird but then they'll give some examples of like here's a here's a tier one effect or here's a tier two effect or whatever and i'm like that doesn't sound like all that impactful to me why are you making that a tier three in this instance when i would have made it a tier one so i've i've decided that i'm just going to ignore some of the examples um, <laughs> Because they don't make sense to me in my head based on what they described in the book. Um, so it, it'll be interesting for me to see how it all plays out. It sounds intriguing. Um, I don't believe that it's a game that will be one that I use all the time. Yep. Um, and the, the game itself says that it's designed for short mini campaigns, right? So you have a main goal, and they figure it'll take five to 10 sessions to play through the entire campaign. And then you'd start over with something else. Um, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that with the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so that, that's cool. Um, 
I, I prefer games that can have a little bit more story, a little bit more building on the backstory or, or building the character arc, that sort of stuff. With Wicked Ones, I don't know that there's going to be much that you can do with that. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I agree. And it's um, it's one of those things where even like when we're... Because like we haven't actually started playing yet. We've only been world building. Yeah. And the one thing that... I've found that everyone's been more excited for because we went through character creation and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. This is, you know, it's all right. But then we started talking about each other's characters. We started talking about the world. We started talking about, especially when we had the session where we were talking about the dungeon that we we're going to be running. And to be honest, it was, that was the very, the really exciting part because we yeah. were starting to create this, um, this little ecosystem of how our dungeon runs and we were feeding off of each other and we were talking about this and that and that part got me a lot more excited like i i'm going to tell you right now my character i don't on it like i like my character i think it's going to be fun i think he builds really well into the world but i'm more curious of what would happen to the dungeon i have more connection to the dungeon than the characters themselves <laughs> which I think is kind of funny. But, but at the same time, the book kind of mentions that the dungeon is the main character. Yeah. And, and so it's like... <laughs> yeah. And you can kind of tell, because even like when we're doing character creation, we're like, okay, well, we pick this, we pick that, we pick that. And then we start talking about our lore and how we, how we kind of like react with each other. But I had the most fun when we are designing the dungeon. It was a blast. Of course, we have yeah. a really shenanigans group. And... I'm sorry, uh, Jared. Uh, and also, you know, <laughs> Salty, because uh, you put three people who are, I would say, probably more comedically driven to design the dungeon. Um, Zany and whimsy. <laughs> and there's a lot of whimsy, but at the same time, it's kind of morbid. It is. It's, 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 a, it's a morbid comedy that we've almost uh, done. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. The other thing that I think about Forge of the Dark so far, yeah, it it is heavily a narrative game. Oh yeah, which is fine with me. I mean, I don't care. It takes a lot of the load off of my shoulders because I don't have to prepare anything. I just have yeah. to literally react to you guys, and I don't even sit necessarily have to worry about combat tactics because the only way the quote unquote good guys that I run get to react is based on your failures. Yeah. So it's like, I, I roll zero attacks. All of my attacks happen because you failed to do something you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more of adjudication placed on the GM's shoulders. I have to say, oh, this is a tier one sort of encounter, or this is a, the spell you're wanting to cast is a tier three, so you're going to subtract two from your your invoke role. So there's there's more of that sort of stuff. And there's so so a GM who needs to know, oh well you're in short range, so you have this penalty and oh now you're in long range because you know exactly where they are, I think they would struggle more with this sort of a system because it's very um based on how I feel the the thing is going and and how difficult the encounter should be and and that sort of stuff. So while there's dice rolling that I do, it's not as impactful in the moment for you all. It's it's more of aftermath sort of stuff that happens uh, to the dungeon, to later all encounters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, so go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and from my experience, like from Rooting Blades, it it kind of sounds similar where it's like uh, the GM for blades is more re how the world will react to it. And yeah, they have to decide if something, you know, really challenging or something like that, but you got all those clocks in order to kind of keep track of the world and what's happening around it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's one of the things that I think is going to be maybe a little bit more difficult for me to get used to is understanding the clocks, yeah. but it's, in time, the the stress mechanic, I think, is really neat and something that I could see bringing into other um, 
potentially other aspects or other games like Savage Worlds or, or Forbidden Lands or something. Because what I've found is a lot of times, okay, we have to infiltrate this stronghold, and so we're going to sneak past the guards, we've got to do this. And a whole lot of time can be taken up just planning how we're going to do this. That's happened in traveler games that I've played in. It's happened in uh, Warhammer 40,000, where we know that we got to go into some place and we know it's going to be dangerous and we don't want our characters to die. And so we spend more time than we should trying to plan for every eventuality and how are we going to counteract this? And what if this happens? Yeah. And the GM sits there getting bored because we're talking about what, what we want to do for an hour and a half rather than doing what we want to do. And so the flashback mechanic using stress, I thought was really neat where you say, okay, we want to go and our goal is to get this thing out of there. Okay, let's go do it. And you charge in. And if there's a part in the, in the encounter that you like, oh, we planned for this. I'm going to spend stress to flash back. And this is how we <laughs> have this uh, expandable bridge, right? <laughs> there's a chasm that we didn't know about. And so I, I think that flashback mechanic is, is kind of ingenious and kind of neat because it can get you playing rather than losing yourselves in the minutia of, of planning your raid, um, which I thought was cool. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. Yeah. No, that, it does sound... Like, the game itself, I really like the concept of it. I just kind of going back to what you're saying about like the thing as a whole I'm going to touch on a couple topics here i do agree that this is definitely a more of a short-lived game because i really can't see it going further than i even i even i even struggle to see 10 sessions to be honest I, i'd agree i agree yeah i think that might be even a little bit much um the magic system too it's I almost feel like they over almost like overcomplicated the concept of it. While you In look what at way? Well, you know, with the different schools and all that stuff, you look oh, at yeah, yeah. you look at blades, you look at most PBTAs, and it's just like, well, how do you want to describe it? It's just weird. You know? I, yeah. I know it's not I know in blades it's not called weird, but you know is it? Either way, it's just, you know, it I, I almost feel like the system itself is like a little odd. Um, I'm also really curious to see how actually our dungeon gets invaded, how that's going to go out down. Because my concern, especially it being a narrative style game with the dungeons, is you know if you're out like let's let's take Blades in the Dark for instance, like if you're going on a heist there's a very, very, very high chance that you've never been there before. So you can kind of play off of the narrative and you can kind of come up with different scenarios and ask, you know, this, that, this. Within the dungeon itself, it's like, you kind of have it laid out. You can't add new details, really. You can't really, you can to a little bit, but after an idea, after you've been in there a few times, like, everything's kind of set in stone. No, it's not. Your, your dungeon evolves. Like even the rooms that you've already built, those those can evolve a little bit. Uh, you're right uh, yeah. to some extent there, but the imps continue to work, and they will continue finding new rooms for you. Um, they continue building passages and tunnels. Um, you can swap it. So let's say that you're you have a creature lair, and that creature gets killed. You then have to go out and attract a new creature to fill that lair. It's not yeah. like that creature just automatically responds. So you could have the same creature or you could attract a different creature. Um, there are alliances that you can build with other factions to say, yep. hey, we need a group of orc soldiers to come and guard this area. And the dungeon raid itself, there are mechanics for that. And yep. so as an example, if there's a passage, I can ask you guys, okay, what direction do you want these adventurers to go? And then I make a fortune roll. And if fortune is with you, they go the direction you want them to go. If fortune is not with you, they go the other direction. And so they end up, uh, when you build your dungeon, you start populating it with traps and, and um, monsters and whatever. You can help them, or you help define where they go. You play the role of, so each of you will have responsibility for the different rooms, right? So like you made 
one room and you likely will be the one responsible for that room. And we'll need to go through that a little bit to say, okay, you guys need to divvy up this, your dungeon responsibilities. So yeah. who's going to roll for this trap? Who's going to roll for this trick? Who's going to roll for, for this thing? And as the adventurers encounter them, then you're making that roll to see, did it turn them away or did it defeat them or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And so there's, there's stuff for that. And you each will, then anytime you say like you're in charge of trap one, you're yeah. always in charge of trap one. That That's not going to rotate between the players. You take that responsibility on as your character. Um, and then the only time that your characters really get involved is when they invade your sanctum. Because you guys are always in your sanctum during an yeah. invasion. So, <clears throat> okay. so it, it, it's, it's an interesting concept and I'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm a little interested too. I'm on the whole, you know, running the dungeon thing with that thing. I'm still, I'm not going to lie. I'm not 100% sold on that portion of it because, but that's just me personally. I think most games kind of flourish when you go out into the world with, you know, raiding and everything like that. But we're going to have to see how the mechanics really play with that uh, before I make my... Yeah, yeah. And you guys have to go out into the world. Yeah. I mean, you have to go out to get the resources to fulfill your master plan. You have to go out to recruit creatures. You have to go out to uh, do different things. So there will be raiding. That, in fact, if you want your dungeon to evolve and to expand and to grow, you have to do raids because the only way your dungeon grows in tier level. So right now you're a tier zero. If you want to go to a tier one dungeon, you have to go raid a tier one faction. Yeah. Um, and it's a specific it's a specific type of raid it has to be a pillaging raid and once you've done that raid if you succeed then your dungeon tier goes up and that faction tier goes down so if you have like a tier 4 faction and you're tier 3 and you want to take your dungeon to a tier 4 you have to go yeah. raid that tier 4 faction so you can swap places um so it's it's there's a little bit of that but it's yeah, it, it'll be interesting because it's all about the scenes that you guys want to create. Yeah, it, it, it sounds maybe this is going to sound weird, but it sounds almost like video game mechanics. I, I believe it is, and and uh, a lot of the inspiration for it came from games like Dungeoneer, I believe it was, or or Dungeon Master or something like that. There's a, there's some video games that they reference. Yeah, that's it, Dungeon Keeper. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of video games like that that seem to have been. Re- referred to as inspiration for the game, uh, so you're not that, wrong. That game's a classic. <laughs> I've never played it. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's it's an old game. Like, uh, God, I want to say the '90s. I might be lying on that one. Because, uh, like, if there's like Dungeon Keep. I'm sorry. I'm very curious about this. Dungeon Keeper One was made in 1997. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that's an old game now. Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few years. Just a few years. It's only been like 25 years. <laughs> Quick Beth. Yeah, but like I I to be honest, like I really like the Blades in the Dark system. I think it's a very fascinating system. The game itself I'm so I, I, I love the people who are playing with. I love the concept of it. I'm just still a little concerned about how it's going to play out. Yeah, as am I. It's very, it's very niche, too. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Which is probably why the scope is a lot more smaller, more condensed to a specific type of thing. But I, I always thought it was kind of weird that you couldn't play, like, um, evil, like, ruler-type villains. You have to play almost inhuman creatures like you know they don't think like people they aren't people they can't understand people they may not even be able to talk like people unless they yeah. take a very specific thing and that part I, I find a little bit interesting from a design point like I get why they did it because they wanted to kind of keep it a little bit more um, focused but at the same time I felt I feel like it could have opened it could open it up to being a longer standing campaign 
Yeah, although, you know, I think there are already ways that people do that, right? I mean, I played Deadlands where we were an outlaw game. So we weren't the heroes. We were the villains in that game. And so I think you can do that even in D&D. You could play a necromancer that wants to rule the world and so starts creating a group of, like, his, his, his army, so to speak, or his henchmen that then go out and raid to fulfill his master plan. So I think that already exists in other games. It just takes the players wanting to play that kind of a campaign. Yeah. Um, whereas this one here is we want to do the inverse of a dungeon crawl. We want to be the ones plotting that, that yeah. dungeon and watch people walk through it. And how can we stop them from getting to us um, or, or have them sufficiently weak by the time they get to us that we can destroy them? Um, which I, I think for that requires them to be monstrous, which is why you can play demons and, and stuff like that. But I, yeah. I agree. I, I think there are some... The, the thing that I like about it, though, is that you can come up with any monster that you want. You don't have to stick with the ones in the book, especially since your race or ancestry or whatever you want to call it doesn't really have any play. Yeah. And there are rules that you can have them. Like, like I was saying, if you wanted to play a, a Medusa... You could do that. There's some rules on how do you get that special ability for turning people to stone and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm learning the system. I didn't want to get into that. So I'm like, let's just keep it very basic. Your, <laughs> your race isn't going to matter. Um, if we like this enough and people decide, hey, let's do it again sometime, maybe we can explore that, that region of character creation a little bit more. But it, it's something that, Right now, I just I, I didn't want to deal with it. It's like I've already got so many new concepts for me <laughs> that I'm having to deal with it. I just don't even want to mess with that part of it. Oh yeah, and considering that's almost like um, add-on mechanics that you can put in, like it's yeah. not it's not a hundred percent necessary. And I don't think we're losing anything by not having those. Agreed. Yeah. Especially so, since the dungeon is the fun part of the of the game. Oh so yeah. Far. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, like I said, like um, we have, like we came up with the most kind of ridiculous little because, like, th for anyone who's curious, like you have minions, but you also have imps, and the imps are kind of like the they're the ones that are in the dungeon, but they're almost like the tiny, insignificant creatures that are there. Like yeah. they'll help you out because you provide them with X Y Z. You can bully them around, but they're not really important to... I, I wouldn't say imp they're not important to the story, but they're not your main focus. Their, their sole role is to justify the expanse of the dungeon. Yeah. So if you had a four-room dungeon the entire time, that'd be boring. So you want to see your dungeon grow, insert the justification for that so that the players don't have to sit there and spend time digging things out so to, i kind of look at them as they're the garbage men they're the road workers they're <laughs> the construction workers that nobody thinks about yet that's how the city grows is yeah. all these people in the background that are the infrastructure that play an important role that everybody overlooks nobody really notices them we don't think about them it's like oh hey there's a whole new subdivision there how did that get there i don't even remember seeing a work crew um, sort of thing, but and then that's that's the role that the imps play. They're they are the background dressing that justifies how the dungeon continues to expand. Which is ironic because I feel like our dungeon was almost built with them in mind. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we set up like this, and this was all kind of done through like just collaborative chat. Where so our dungeons for some reason attracts fairies in there. Uh, and the because it's the the air is heavy, it's rancid. There's like you know fungus growing on the wall. There's insects that are literally our main source of light. There's this. There's that. It's not a good environment. The fairies slowly corrupt into like these literally doby looking things, like doby from Harry Potter, who are just kind of <laughs> like lose their wings. They're kind of just depressed, and they're just kind of this thing living, and they. They sleep in these literal 
hammocks that are more like if anyone remembers the dodgeball bags that are made out of string from high school or whatever they sleep in things like that and it's literally just like hanging from a wall and they just climb in there and that's where they're sleeping and then they devolve into little uh pretty much like these little fungal monster things and i forget what what were the things that we choose were they were stupid, right? And yeah, stupid and clumsy or something. No, it wasn't clumsy. It was or uh, clever. No, I'd have no to look. not clever. Uh, God, what's the word? They're like grumpy or. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd have to go back and look. I haven't yeah. written it down. And I so they're like logging into Foundry. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, well, should they have a pot? Because we pick only two traits. Should they have a positive trait? No. <laughs> <laughs> no positive traits. They're just, they're just kind of little angry assholes that are not in, not smart in the least. And, uh, and, and I love it. I love it. Like we literally made them a bar as well, <laughs> made out of corpses and bones and <laughs> tiny tables. <laughs> I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with us? In the end, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Oh yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And that kind of comes to our second part of the story. And I think the reason why we're having so much fun, Farner, is because you have kind of facilitated an environment that is solely built around the collaboration to create this world. And you have done such a magnificent job at fostering that kind of uh, environment. So I got to ask, how, like, because you said that this we thought is this part of the rules and mechanics of the books. And you're like, no, this is kind of what I've, you know, what I thought would be a good idea. How did you yeah. how do how were you able to foster that kind of environment to really allow us to do this? So the the big thing was so there are some things that are mechanically there, right? They, yeah. they the, the mechanics of the game for Wicked One says that you all kind of help place the factions and what the factions are. You define the factions, what tier level the factions are, um, what their goals are, some of those sorts of things. So there is some collaborative world building in there, but all of the examples that the book gave were centered around a pre-existing map. Here's a map. Let's start putting things in this map. Where's yeah. your dungeon on this map? Where's this faction? Where's that faction? And in, uh, I thought, okay, well, I can come up with a map, but it might be more fun if I just ask, do you guys want to be involved in the map making or just in the faction placing? Because I, I can do either one. And when Rogan says, well, I think it'd be kind of fun to, to help build the map. I'm like, okay, then we'll just do that. And going from that there got you all involved a lot more. I mean, even Salty's like, you know what? I, I'm not going to be able to make it, but I would love for there to be like a desert type area. Um, where it's it's not hospitable at all and and that sort of stuff and so bringing being able to bring that into it and and at least know that okay he's interested in this sort of story and then hearing how you all just kind of evolve the world from there is a lot of fun because the world building is a lot of fun that's one of my favorite parts of gaming is I used to really love character creation and I still kind of do but I also really like world building itself and coming up with the with the ideas of oh you know what this would be a lot of fun here and just watching you guys come up with it takes all that load off of my shoulders so it's me being purely lazy <laughs> <laughs> well we've had a lot of fun and i don't think you expected it to be two sessions of us just kind of coming up with ideas but like we really kind of started crazily bouncing ideas off of each other and it's like one person would say something and then like i'd build on top of it and then someone would build on top of it and then someone else would build on top of it and we've come up with just from people saying like little sound bites sometimes coming up with these really neat ideas yeah and like my favorite still and i think this was jared's idea was the painted glass city I think that's such a yeah yeah i think that's such a cool idea like i remember you said about it'd be cool to have a city that's like made out of painted glass and then it kind of evolved into even the buildings are all made out of like a solid glass because you know and sand and we just kept on going and it was even the even the 
the gem that was kind of just like a, a thought of, well, why are they in the desert? And I think you asked that question of like, why are, why is that city there? Yep. And I, I forget who said something about the gem. And then, oh, throughout the whole entire thing, it ended up kind of evolving into that, that gem actually is growing underground potentially from maybe our own stuff we don't know yet because you've kind of left that to an air of mystery and this gem is almost like pushing itself upward and then we have those three monuments and our base is like underneath like the three monuments separated and then our base is kind of like underneath in a monument that's underground instead of above like the others and i'm just like it's the world itself, even once we're done this, like I, I, I play in it in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, I agree. I think it's a, it's an interesting world. And now the fun part about this, though, is I've also set up a Wicked Ones game for my kids. For like, uh, if we can't get enough people together to play Forbidden Lands, or yeah. a key member of the group can't be there that night, and we really can't move forward without them being there, um, we've got a Wicked Ones game for that and the fun part is seeing how different the worlds are to begin with because you you all came up with um a completely different world than what my kids came up with and the the funny thing is (laughs) for us when when we were doing ours on wednesday night we were talking through it and i was doing a lot of drawing on on incarnate and you guys kind of tell me, oh, let's put this over here and let's put that there. And so I was trying to do some of that stuff. And I still did that. It was the same sort of setup. But my kids went full on with drawing on the Foundry map to say, we're going to put this here. And they got so far ahead of me that I'm like, okay, I'm trying to catch up, guys. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were just drawing stuff all over that map. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> but and one of the guys like, um, I'm really impressed that you're able to take our scribblings and make it look pretty accurate for what we have envisioned on Incarnate. So I got to say, Incarnate is awesome. Yeah, um, um, I, I, I love that mapping huge, software. Yeah, I want to give a huge shout out. We're not sponsored, nothing like that. But Incarnate, oh my god! After you showed us that stuff, and then you're kind of showing because like you're screen sharing. And we're looking at it, and it is such a neat one. So the website itself, it's... I really want to let you guys all know about it, because it is an amazing one. It's I-N-K-A-R-N-A-T-E. So ink as an ink, and then arnate normally, dot com. It has amazing map builders. And I, I think there's a free version, and then there's a paid version. I highly recommend checking it out because it is honestly one of the best things you can probably look at for that kind of shenanigans. And I might actually use it myself because it's that cool. Yeah, I I was debating whether we go with that one or Wonder Draft because I have both of them. Um, I'm going to incarnate for that one. Wonder Draft is great for other other mapping needs, and so I've used them both, but... But for this, I thought Incarnate would do well. And, and it's worked well for both games so far. Yeah, so. And, and it looks like it's got a, like, a lot of... Like, you can use it for giant world maps or even just, like, city and small maps. Yep. Yeah. So, I haven't, I haven't looked at the other one yet, though, so I might have to look at that one as well. Wonder Draft... To me, Wonder Draft does better when you're coming up with world-sized maps. Um, and there are some really cool features in there that allow you to draw land masses very quickly. With, with Incarnate, the, the one struggle that I have is because we're going more of an overland area rather than a water area, Incarnate defaults to water. Everything, the entire map is water, and then you okay. add land to it. And so what I had to do is I had to prepare, to prepare for our game I had to go in and create nothing but land mass. So I had to add land over all of the water, and now I just track land to reveal the water where we needed water. So, but because we do very little of the water stuff, I don't have to do a whole lot of land subtraction. Um, However, with my kids, I had to do a lot more land subtraction. 
because they, they wanted more rivers, they wanted more uh, whatever it was. And so it was just kind of interesting to, to see how all of that. And they, they build in like, we're going to have dark elves over here. We're going to have dwarves over here. We're going to have humans over here and lizard people here. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, <laughs> this, this will be an interesting uh, setup. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was just kind of interesting to see how differently both groups approach the world itself. Uh, like is out of out of curiosity like um just because i know with world building it can go a lot of different ways did they have a lot of a different like did they have a different tone to their uh style of world or some degree there there are conflicts between some of the groups like there's elves that don't like some other uh group that like lizard people and, and things like that so that they they've got baked in conflicts between some of the different factions that have yet to be defined. Yeah. But but they're like, yeah, and and uh you know what? I want in this area, I just want this big like column uh, or like a mesa. I want a big mesa like right here and I want a city on top of that mesa. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we have this one city that's like isolated from everybody else because it's on the top of this plateau type of area and there's very few places very few ways up to it so there's some trade routes that have to be gone through and and so there's there's some of that sort of stuff but yeah the the approach has been different so far and it's just interesting to see how the different groups kind of key in on you know what this this would be kind of a neat idea over here for this so it, it's it's just been interesting it's been a lot of fun that is true and like even like when you're talking like when we're talking about world building i think the first thing that really even us as a group kind of decided on was that we were going to make sure that salty's desert was in there and yep. we almost built I would say we almost built the map around having that idea of a desert, but we even took in like we even took like realistic geographical approaches to the world to try yeah. and make yeah like we're we're looking at like geography like I, I ended up like searching up uh uh like Mongolia uh, Mongolia in order to kind of show how diverse the pop how diverse it can actually be and we almost kind of built their world based off of uh the mongolian landscape and how it functions yep. and then then we added in also um th this is probably my favorite little bit that we kind of added in and that was how the earth itself is an unstable instead. yeah <laughs> and how seismic activity and all that is more regular there to the point where there's this giant like Grand Canyon style crack. <laughs> that was a lot of fun though. Which is funny because I found that chasm and then I can't find it again. And I needed a chasm for something that the kids wanted. I'm like, where is that? <laughs> well, didn't you stretch it wider? I did, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't even find that icon oh. that I used initially. I'm like, I searched for chasm. I searched for gorge. I'm like doing all these searches. Like, can't find it. Where is it? Uh, I think <laughs> it was just hole. Okay. Yeah, hole yeah, or pit back. or something like that. It was something simple. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I remember. I think you found it because you were showing us. Because um, like our base is built is based in a sinkhole. Sinkhole. <laughs> and so you're just kind of looking at holes in the ground. <laughs> and I think that's where you found it from, just from the, like that basic thing. And I, yeah, honestly, I just love how our how our world went, and like I'm I'm so excited to play with everyone. I hope that we can get everyone in on a session because I know Russ is busy. Because sorry, uh, salty. Oh, yeah, I I, I, I he, we said his out. we we no we've said his name on the podcast before. Okay, uh, yeah, because you know he's been in. Uh, episodes we've talked he's the creator of nuetto and he's all was also in our uh episode where we were talking about the may i can i or my character is doing this blah blah, blah yeah. which was a very fun episode he's joining us for a game which is awesome because uh well he's he's honestly just a fun guy <laughs> <laughs> but he's not playing a fun guy 
I'm a fun guy. Yeah, you're playing the fun guy. <laughs> yeah, and even like talking about how in the past, like when you're saying how you can pick, make your own monster, I made a freaking giant mushroom person, <laughs> which I love. And then we have like that un- we have the undead dude who <laughs> thud <laughs> is yeah, who is sort of. We didn't really talk about if he is infected with the mushroom or if somehow he was able to circumvent being mind-controlled by the mushroom. Kind of <laughs> up for a mystery. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of fun, though. God, I, I honestly, I just love playing with you guys. And I'm still <laughs> saying that paranoia would work perfectly with our group. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I'm kind of regretting not backing perfect edition <laughs> for that specific reason uh, well you can still buy it <laughs> oh it's not out yet I just might have like the, I might be able to because uh, I'm so curious about it and chances are I would have gotten like you know the, the playtest version or you know the versions as they kind of come out like a lot of people a lot of companies do sorry but have an idea of how it looks like and right now i'm just kind of sitting in the dark thinking well at least i still have xp <laughs> but yeah god i uh, yeah i we still need to play paranoia at some point modules or not i don't care it would just be a blast <laughs> i agree I, I i always enjoyed the few games of paranoia that i played I mean, th- that is another short-lived campaign or, or short-lived game. Oh, it's yeah. not something you play years-long campaigns with. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people, like, we're getting... Yeah, I don't care if we're off topic, but um, one thing that I find really interesting about that is everyone thinks, it's like, oh, you got to play it like slapstick. you got to play it like that. It's like, I don't think that's the way how you're supposed to play it. I think you're supposed to play it like a giant thing of malicious compliance where... You're kind of just going through and you're trying to pass the buck over to someone else. It, the, the person who's running it doesn't have to be a comedian. The players will make the comedy. He just has to have very dry humor. I, well, think, if you, I think if you have dry humor where you don't try and be funny, but the situations are just kind of comical in the sense where it's ridiculous, I think it would be perfectly fine. The the thing about paranoia, though, and even as the GM, you're right. The, the GM does not need to be comedic, no. But he, he needs he needs to be devious and mean. I think he just needs to know how office politics work. It, it's not just that, though. It, it's 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 literally not that. I mean, yes, you're right. But this is a computer that doesn't trust anybody either. And the the point of the GM is literally to kill people. Yes, but the reason why I said I think if you understand office politics, yeah. Because, okay, let's take let's take a higher up boss. How many times have you gotten conflicting, uh, conflicting messages from the higher ups because they want something but they want it done this way, and then you have the management team. Who those are the ones who this is why I'm saying it's like office politics who are willing to pass the buck on whose fault it is because they either got the information wrong or the information was wrong from the start and they just don't care enough because they know that they're not going to be the ones in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying office politics for that because it's the player, it's the compute, Frank computer is only in a little portion of it, which everyone seems to focus on. It's the other NPCs around. Or the ones who are most likely going to fuck you over way faster than any computer. Because the computer yeah. won't fuck you over. It's just insane. Uh, oh, the, the computer will screw you over, yes. Yeah, it, because <laughs> no, it's no. insane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. With the office politics, but people need to remember that even in their office politics, they are, whether their character truly is or not, they have to be played as if they are the ladder climbers it's like i want to be priority number one and so you have to be willing to screw the other players over so that you can survive in fact one of the things now again i've not read perfect edition i don't know what has changed but back in the 80s the whole idea was 
the best case scenario is you get all the other characters killed so that you're the only one who returns back and can report so that nobody can contradict your version of the story. That is the ultimate goal is to be the only one so nobody can contradict you. Or have enough contingency plans and and you can't see me doing my finger quotes right now, but evidence to prove yeah. that it wasn't you. Exactly. And, and like, you know what? I agree that it's like it's one of those things where, yeah, everyone should have the same story, and I think you could have a very interesting personal mechanic where it's like at the end of it, once it's all said and done, you say to your players like a day or two later, you ask the players, okay, hey, can you write me out like a paragraph or two, however long you want, detailing uh, what ha- from your character's opinion uh, what happened? Yeah. And then you can just take that information, you can read through it, and you could see, like, you could try and find inconsistencies and try and, like, fuck them over through different little de- devious plans, which could be very, very entertaining, yeah. to be honest. That actually sounds like a lot of fun. But, well, uh... back in the 80s, there was an expansion for Paranoia. Yeah. Sorry, I'll turn and face the mic. I keep forgetting I got a mic I gotta look at. <laughs> Dang it. Um, I, I, I turned around to look at the book. But there was an expansion that gave roles that you could hand out. So like you could have a security officer, you could have a, a oh, quartermaster. Yeah, that that's still in the newer ones. I know it was in which clear, clearance edition, red clearance edition? What, could was, be. what was the one before perfect? That's uh, uh, I think red, I, I think I think you're right. I think it was red, red clearance. clearance. Yeah, because yeah. it went um was it first edition, then after that XP Right or XP third edition or maybe something like, and then it went to fifth edition, and then it went to Mongoose Red Clearance edition, and now I think it's on Perfect. Perfect, yeah. yeah. But the, the the best one was the videographer, because the videographer, yeah. And this happened in in a game that I was playing in where I, I handed the roles out, and one guy is like. Okay, dude, I missed that shot. I need you to to do that again. And it's putting that character in mortal peril because he has to now try and recreate what he did before, even if the monster is gonna or if the if the enemy force or whatever it is yeah. I love can now that. kill him because he has to try it over again. Yeah, just because it wasn't caught on camera, so they made that. <laughs> exactly. I, I freaking love that. And I don't think Red Clearance has that, which is kind of a shame because I think that's such a fun mechanic to give yeah. everyone roles. Because I remember even one of them was like hygiene officer. Yes. Yep. Where you had to make sure that everything was clean and proper and that, you know, their uniforms were in proper accordance with uh, regulations. And yep. then they had like the leader who is like, he's the one, it's like he says, it goes. Uh, then you have, I forget, the compliance officer. Yep. Or something like that. Make sure they're following all the rules. Yeah, I'd have to pull my game down because I actually oh. bought that expansion because it was awesome. But, oh yeah, uh, I feel like that was added into fifth edition. I'm pretty sure they added that in as a base mechanic to fifth edition, but unfortunately, they kind of just did a few other things that were not a huge like people weren't a huge fan of. And I, I, it's been a while since I looked up there. Honestly, there could be an entire episode based off of uh, Paranoia's history because there's. It's a very interesting game, and I feel like the world, the game being created itself has its own set of stories. Yep. That could actually be a very <laughs> fun episode. If you guys want that kind of episode, I'll dig up. I, I'm, I'm officially, my final assignment has, hand, has been handed in. So I now have time. If you are really curious and want me to come up with a, a history of paranoia with all the shenanigans, I might just do that. But please let me know if you actually will want that. Well, oh, that could be so fun. <laughs> that could be a now, lot of fun. Now that you have time, you should probably uh, run a game of, is it Shiver? Shiver? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have actually time for that now so nice that that's something jared mentioned so 
Yeah, which I have actually just recently talked to the people at over at Parable Games uh, recently, and I might have Charlie back on the show in the future, hopefully, as long as everything works out, because they might have something down the pipeline, which, by the way, looks super cool. Uh, I just, I don't know how much I can say, but that one will be very exciting. That will be very exciting. But um, I think on that note, folks, we're about hitting an hour. Uh, so I think we'll uh, probably wrap this up. You got any f- closing words there, Finder? The closing words were any GM who out there who has not allowed their players to participate in the world building, let them. It, it will be a lot of fun for you. It takes some of the weight off of your shoulders and can give you all sorts of different things that you can introduce into your game, even if it's not a forging in the dark game like this is um by allowing them to participate i have and i've done this in other game systems as well where i kind of help people or let people participate in it uh but it lets you know what type of game the players are interested in and you can bring that into the games that you're playing and and it's a lot of fun so if you haven't done it try it it's a lot of fun oh yeah a lot of fun and uh, i honestly think i got to do that a little bit more myself uh just because uh, I've only I have only really ran PBTAs and I'm kind of doing probably got a session or two more. We've been on hiatus for quite a while, but uh, I think after that we might be switching to a different PBTA system or something like that because uh, they seem to be a lot of fun. Maybe I'll do blades. Uh, but anyways, folks, on that note, uh, I hope you guys all had a great time. I know I did, and I'm pretty sure Finder did, although I can't really speak for him. <laughs> I had fun. Okay, fantastic. It's been a while for both of us. We haven't talked to each other in a while. Uh, Before this, we were even talking about 7-Eleven and how they're most popular in Japan. Fun fact. Followed by Thailand. Followed by (laughs) Thailand. Yeah, I know. You'd think the US, but no, they're like third. And on that note, folks, uh, have a good day. Bye-bye. Talk later. Bye-bye.